Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the patellofemoral joint. Now, the patellofemoral joint in total knee replacements, I believe, is fairly underappreciated. The kinematics are quite complex as you delve into it. And since we know that 15 to 20% of patients with total knee replacements still have pain or are unhappy with the outcome, a large portion of that may be in due part to the patellofemoral joint. So it's really important to have a good understanding of what that patellofemoral joint uh, does and what options are available to you. Now, me personally, I always resurface my primary total knee replacements. There are a lot of surgeons out there, and more commonly outside of the United States, that do not resurface on a regular basis. And if you work with those surgeons, you should really have a good understanding of their reasons as to why they do or do not resurface the patella. Now, it's important to understand that because just taking at face value that somebody does not resurface the patella, you want to have an understanding of what other things they may do during the procedure, such as a denervation procedure. Or do they do a patelloplasty? What do they do with the surrounding osteophytes? Or do they do anything with loose cartilage flaps? When do they make a decision to resurface the patella based on the grade or the overall percentage of cartilage loss in the patella. And if you have these understandings and you know the literature, then you have a good way of determining what you're going to do for your particular patients. The big issue for me, and one of the main reasons that I consistently resurface patellas in my primary total joints, is if you choose not to resurface the patella and the patient returns to the office postoperatively with continued and persistent anterior knee pain, the question is, what do you do? What options are available to you conservatively? What do you tell the patient? And when do you pull the plug and go in and do a second operation? I've always been more concerned about putting my patients at risk of a second operation if they consistently have anterior knee pain if you do not resurface the patella. And the big fear would be if somebody continued to have knee pain and got a second opinion, you can almost guarantee that surgeon's going to look at them their anterior knee pain, the fact that you did not resurface the patella, and they're going to offer them a second operation. And we're not 100% sure until after the fact if that was the right call and the reason for their pain. So for that reason mainly, uh, and other reasons, but that that reason mainly is the reason that I tend to resurface all of my primary total knees. Now, resurfacing doesn't come without its risks. So you have to be aware of what you're doing when you resurface the patella. The time issue, and people have brought that up, it's a very short amount of time. So I do not believe that that added surgical time is a major risk factor. But you can cut the patella too thin. And if you cut the patella too thin, that risks fracture. And we all know that based on literature and data that you should be aware of that a patella fracture after total knee replacement is a disastrous injury and a disastrous outcome. So you want to do everything that you can to avoid over-resecting the patella. But on the flip side, you can also under-resect the patella. And if you leave the patella too thick and you overstuff the patella femoral joint, that can not only lead to pain, but also affect their kinematics. 
Now, we always talk about too thin, too thick, but you can also cut the patella asymmetrically. So if you cut it too thin at the top and too thick at the bottom or vice versa, or you cut it medial to lateral, thin on one side, thick on the other, that can also affect the kinematics and can lead to pain and maltracking issues. So you want to be aware of what you're actually doing when you cut the patella, and I'll talk about that more towards the end of this episode. Uh, But also when we talk about how you prepare the patella, you do have lots of options. You can freehand the patella, which is what I commonly do. Some people will choose to use a guide uh, and lock it on with a measured caliper and then cut through the guide. Some people will also choose to use a reamer and a uh, reamer device. So there's lots of different options available and you can choose the option that you believe works best for you and your hands. You also have the option of an inlay or onlay procedure. I've always been an onlay uh, surgeon, uh, but there are people that do choose to use the inlay uh, for particular reasons. And also the idea of do you cement your patella or do you press fit your patella? Uh, I typically will uh, cement my patellas. I've always been concerned about the poor bone stock, especially in older osteoporotic individuals after you've resected and repaired it and then using a press fit device, but it is out there and available and some people have had good success in their hands. Now, All of those things you have to take into account and then make a decision that you believe is best for your patients and patients that are under your control that you are caring for. Now, specifically how I prepare the patella. So when I'm doing my exposure, like we talked about uh, previously, um, when I get to that lateral side, what I tend to use is a two-prong rake up on the quadriceps tendon. And then I use my Z army retractor, and I place that between the patellar tendon and the infrapatellar fat pad. This allows me to start from superior and work distally. So as I'm working from the superior aspect, I'm releasing any plica bands or synovium around the quadriceps tendon that may get in the way of me seeing, visualizing, and cutting. And then I work my way just along the medial rim of the patella. Once I've cleared that tissue out, my assistant will then move the two-prong rake from the quad tendon onto the actual bone of the patella, which I find stabilizes the patella better. And then I will continue down to expose a portion of the infrapatellar fat pad to allow visualization. At this point, I then use two towel clips, and I will place them on the quad and the patellar tendon. And this allows me to evert the patella enough that I can see and flatten it to make a good cut. And at this point, then I'll take the bovi and I release a portion of the tissue along the lateral border of the patella. I do not consider this a release because this is something that you would do after you make your cut to take the bone off of the tissue. So I'm just releasing that tissue early. And what I find that this does is it allows my patella to lay flatter and allows me to have a more accurate cut. Now there are on occasion knees that are extremely tight And if I have difficulty at this point visualizing the cut, instead of going along with the cut at this step and potentially having a poor cut, I will leave the patella to go on, do my distal and tibial resections, which now has shortened that gap and allowed more exposure to the patella femoral joint by getting rid of the distal femoral cut and the proximal tibia, and I can then evert the patella better at that point. But for almost all of my patients on a regular basis, my plan is once I do the exposure and releases, my first bone preparation cut is the patella. And the reason that I do this is that 
I find once the patella has been cut, I put a flat patella cover. It allows my retractors to lay up against it during the rest of the case so that lateral retractor is not sliding around on the patella. So at this point, now that I've released the patella, I have my two towel clips and I use the PCL retractor that my other assistant will hold from across the knee. So as I'm sawing from the outside aspect of the knee laterally to medially, I have something that I can push against. Now, controlling your hand if you're doing a freehand technique is really important. So what I do is I place my two fingers underneath the patella. It gives me an idea of where the anterior aspect of the patella is. Rest the saw upside down in the palm of my hand so I have a good stabilization of the saw and I make my cut. And I always talk about if you're doing a freehand cut, think of this uh, similar to a par three golf course. You know, you don't uh, want to hit every single shot to aim for the cup in a hole-in-one because I think people that do that, if you're doing a freehand technique, you may be more at risk of over-resecting. Or if you cut it at bevel, you don't have any ability to then correct that. So I tend to make a freshening cut, which flattens and gets rid of the apex. Then I can reassess and I have a good idea of proximally, distally, medially, laterally, and I can make minor adjustments to then flatten that cut and have a good, accurate cut. Now, I typically will use my fingers and have an assessment. Uh, I do believe it's a very good idea to get in the habit of using calipers in the beginning and not just measure, but feel, see how thick it is, then measure, see how accurate your fingers are. Because when you're measuring, if you get into the habit of measuring a specific millimeter, you have to understand how much cartilage loss has already occurred. And you want to take that into account. But you also then need to know with each implant system is all of the thicknesses available to you. Because some will change with the diameter of the patella button. Some thicknesses are consistent across all sizes. So you can use that to your advantage that if you want to leave a particular uh, thickness of your patella, if you are too thick, you can always go back and recut another millimeter or two. Or the other option in certain companies' implant designs is you can change the thickness to then best restore your patella kinematics. Um, now, if you're... Um, then using the drill guide at that point, you'll use your drill guide. I typically will use an asymmetric for most of my knees. I find that that helps medialize the apex of the patella to get better tracking, but some companies only offer a symmetric. If I'm using an asymmetric uh, company, but the anatomy is more round and I have the option of switching to a round, I will switch to the round. So with an asymmetric, you're trying to get coverage. The idea there is that your apex has already been shifted medially for you. And again, stepping back for some of the younger residents, I find that it's really easy for them to get a little confused sometimes when we talk about medialization because now you have your patella everted. And looking down, let's say you're dealing, dealing with a right knee and you're on the right side of the table and you flip the patella over, you're thinking lateral, but we're talking anatomic once the patella is reduced. So you don't want to make the habit, especially if you're using a round symmetric button, of medializing that button when you drill it, when you're looking down, because you have to understand that when you then flip that patella back upside down, it's gonna be shifted lateral. So when we talk about medializing the patella, it's medializing the patella once it's been reduced, but when you have it everted, looking down to your eye, you may think of that as being a lateralized position. So keep those two things in mind and don't make the mistake of shifting 
that symmetric button medial on the patella when you're looking down because when you flip it over, it'll lateralize and that can worsen your patellofemoral kinematics. Uh, but at this point, once I make my drill holes for my patellar component, I use a flat patella cover. And what this does is it not only protects the patella from damage from the saw door and the rest of the case, but it gives me a nice flat surface that I can lay my retractor up against during the rest of the case and I don't find that shifts and slips back and forth over the apex of the patella. Um, so at this point, you've, uh, you've hopefully, if you're free-handed it, uh, you've uh, birdied and you've uh, done a two-cut, occasionally a three-cut, um, but if you've used your, your other devices, always you know trust the device. It's as good as it is for how you use it. Um, so even though you may use a device and it measured correctly, when you do your reaming or your cutting, then recheck it and make sure that you did obtain what you were aiming for. Um, and also, very important, this is going to be two or four weeks down the road, is try to get access to the x-rays. So if you've done these cuts, even though the patellofemoral kinematics and intraoperatively it feels good, you're going to learn so much by keeping a log or a diary of each case and how easy or hard you thought the patella was and when you cut it, how many cuts did you do? What was your balancing and kinematics and tracking like? And then go back and when these patients come back to the offices, get access to their x-rays and look and really assess and critique what you did and how you did it. And are you making the same mistake over and over again? Do you bevel it in a particular direction? What are your tendencies? And that's going to allow you to progress a whole lot quicker and faster and make more accurate cuts going forward. So those are all the steps on how I actually uh, do the patella. So other things to keep in mind when we talk about the patella femoral joint and kinematics, and um, this this gets a little bit more complicated, but also be aware of your joint line. Um, be aware of, you've heard me talk about it before, about the personality of the knee. You know, Did the person have a patella baja or alta to begin with? Had they had a prior surgery or injury? Uh, what is their joint line like? And did you restore the joint line correctly? Because it's, let's say somebody had a bad deformity and you on purpose elected to then switch your cuts by raising or elevating your joint line for a particular reason based on their deformity, then are you talking about if you have the option to, with a symmetric button, can you superiorize or inferiorize the apex of the patella button to best restore the patellofemoral kinematics? And again, for patellofemoral kinematics, we always talk about medializing the patella, try to restore the normal anatomic apex, but how does that work with the femoral component? And if you have issues with tracking, does simply lateralizing the femur allow you to restore or correct that? Do you have the option of a narrow femur? And can you, if you have a good anatomic fit, can you go to a narrow and then shift it? Um, but if you're still having issues, then you have to start to worry about other things. So those other things to keep in mind when we're talking about the patella femoral joint become tissue or implant and bony. So if we're talking about tissue, I'm not surprised in a severely 20-degree valgus knee um, that has severe lateral tracking preoperatively to need to do a lateral release in that patient. So if I'm having issues, that may be the first thing that I do in that particular patient. Whereas if you're doing a varus knee and once the case is done and you have some issues with tracking, if you're jumping to a lateral release, you got to wonder why this was a varus knee that didn't have preoperative patellofemoral kinematic tracking issues. So you really want to assess, did you correctly rotate your tibial component? Did you correctly rotate your femoral component? 
Is your femoral component lateralized enough or appropriately? Is your patellar button medialized enough or appropriately before you just jump to releasing tissue because it may be one of those other things? Um, But if you have to do things, you want to look at each of those things and get into a habit or a mantra of just assessing them every single time in the beginning. You may get to the point where you check a knee, you check the balancing, and you just know, oh, it's this or that. But get into the habit of looking at the tibia, looking at the tibial rotation, looking at your femur, looking at your condylar axis, your rotation, looking at the medial lateral position of the femoral component, looking at the medial lateral position of the patellar component, and then make sure that all of those things are appropriate every single time. And then if that's the case, then you can address the particular thing. Now, after all of that, um, then you want to go ahead and do your closure and make sure that you've closed everything well. Now, the one thing to keep in mind in my patients where I do do a lateral release is make that patient aware of what you did. Make sure that it's documented. And the reason is that in a week or so, you're going to get a phone call or your nurse is going to get a phone call that this person has a huge goose egg on the outside aspect of their knee. So these are knees that I will typically leave wrapped or use some additional compression device longer than most knees and inform the patient of what's going to happen so they're not surprised or alarmed. But by documenting it well, if the patient calls and your nurse sees that where you would normally put it, right away she can let that patient know, oh no, what you're having is normal. It will go down, use compression. If you have you know, that lump out there, this is why it's there and everybody's on the same base. So you don't have a patient that gets upset or concerned about something that may be out of the ordinary to them. And this way your staff is all on the same page. So that's a whole lot of information and we could probably go on for longer because of how complex the patellofemoral joint is. But hopefully I've touched on some of the important topics and aspects. I've explained to you how I do it step-by-step. And hopefully uh, this will help next time you're in the operating room uh, as you can continue to progress along with your path. So we're going to continue on these next few episodes talking more about the exposure and and, uh, preparation of both the femur and the tibia. I'm Adam Rosen. Thanks for listening. This has been the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.